Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids, you know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear, affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you did. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. 17-14 at the final. One touchdown, we are world champions. Believe it, and it will happen. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. Welcome to Tuesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com as well as the mobile app. He's Jonathan Casillas. I'm Lance Meadow with you for the next 60 minutes. Multiple ways for you to interact with us here on the program. You give us a ring, 201-939-4513. You can also find us on Twitter, hashtag Giants Chat, and you can also directly interact with the two of us on Twitter. I'm at Lance Meadow, one word, last name, M-E-D-O-W. He is at Casillas 52 And the program, as always, is presented by Cadillac, the official luxury vehicle of the New York Football Giants. And you can find the archive of this show and our entire podcast network on the Giants mobile app, podcast platforms everywhere, and at Giants.com slash podcast. So what we're going to do today is we're going to do end-of-season awards. We haven't had an opportunity to really take a step back, reflect on the year, so we're going to focus on the individuals. We're going to use the NFL honors, which is coming up right before the Super Bowl in terms of the different categories. And if you want to weigh in, you have individuals that stuck out to you in these various categories. We are open all ears with respect to that, but we figured it would be a good way to put the season in perspective and go category by category, as well as maybe get into some of the news coming out of the All-Star Games. Today is day one of practice for the Senior Bowl after they had measurements yesterday. So we'll go through MVPs. We'll do Offensive and Defensive Player of the Year's, Offensive and Defensive Rookies of the Year, as well as Most Improved Comeback Player of the Year. So there's a lot to delve into. And let's start at the top of the food chain, JC and most valuable player. And you can really go in a variety of different directions for this award. You could go with a player that maybe did not hold up durability-wise and proved his true value. And you can make a case for individuals on the offense and the defensive side of the ball. I don't know if you want me to go first or you want to go first in this category, but there is somebody that I have in mind because I think he fit the profile of a variety of different categories. Yeah, I, I could go first on this one. I think, um, you know, you look at the Giants, you know, whole team and what they did this year, even last year as well. There's one guy I think that's been the most consistent. You know, he made all pro this year, and that's Dexter Lawrence. You know, I think he's he showed week in and week out. He's one of the best players in the NFL, top defensive tackles in the league. 
and he's dominant. And when he has a game, when he's you know dominating, he he literally shuts the offense down. You know, he has direct impact on every single play because he's literally right in front of the guy that has the ball in the center, and he lines up right over top of him sometimes literally shoulder to shoulder against him parallel to this guy and you know he's he's very effective and you know he's dominant you know and uh he showed it several times this year several games this year where you know the sack numbers aren't always there but the pressures are always there sure. and he's always flustering quarterbacks you know he makes you know it, you talk about how this league is now in 2024 and you even look at you know uh the, the Super Bowl uh you know, players right now the Super Bowl teams you got Patrick Mahomes, who is making the case to be the GOAT only six years into the NFL. And, you know, Tom Brady just retired a few years ago, and it was like, no one's going to catch him. Just a few years later, Mahomes is in that conversation yeah. because of the quarterback play, because the play he's playing at the level he's playing at. And Dexter Lawrence affects these guys on a consistent basis. And I just don't see nobody really affecting, um, being as effective uh, as an individual as Dexter Lawrence is. Well, I think Dexter Lawrence makes a good case. He's going to be another label for me okay. as we go through the balance of these awards. I'm going to go with Bobby Okereke. Ooh. I mean, he had such a standout season, Jonathan, and I think he comes close to what you're talking about yeah. where the things he did, what he set up for Micah McFadden. Big playmaker, bro. The guys up front because he was able to clean up a lot and have those opportunistic plays. And I'm going to use the numbers just to put his season in perspective within comparison to the other players on this team. He led the team in combined tackles with 149. The next closest player was McKinney at 116. And they played the same amount of snaps. And they all played, correct, every single snap. And that's a noticeable difference, right, in terms of tackles. You want to go solo. It's supposed to be that way, though. The linebacker is supposed to have a little more tackles than the safety. Without a doubt. With with all things considered the same. That's troubling because that means the guys up front did not take care of their business. No, I'm with you there. (laughs) 92 tackles for Okereke, 78 for McKinney. He set a career high in sacks with two and a half. And Okereke's not a big sack guy, but he had some of those disruptive plays. Yeah, he did. We talked about durability. came a little later in the season, too. Yeah, They did. So, yep. you know, but once again, I mean, for a guy who's got a man in the middle of the field and is playing next to some youth, I think for him to at least have some opportunities to get after quarterback says an awful lot. He had 11 tackles for loss, and that put him third on the team behind McFadden and Kayvon Thibodeau. He didn't have a boatload of quarterback hits, but... When you look at what he had in comparison to the rest of the team, he was a top five player with six. And the forced fumbles, four. In addition to, once again, the interceptions that he had, he finished with two, which was second on the team. I mean, every category you go to, he contributed in some capacity. I I fully agree with you, and he's going to be on my list a little bit later on. Understandable. Um, But he's responsible for more than six because he has two interceptions and uh, four forced fumbles. But he also tipped a couple passes oh, sure. that got yeah. intercepted, you know. So he's responsible for a lot of big game changing plays. And I guess this is gonna be my little part. We don't have to talk about him later when I bring him up later. But I mean, he's for me, he was right behind uh, Dexter. And it was like, who who's gonna get the defensive MVP? You know, who's gonna get the defensive player sure. of the year? Who's gonna get the MVP? It was between those two because I think the impact that Dexter Lawrence had, uh, Bobby O'Carrickey had a very similar effect at that position. Well, let's stay on the defensive side of the ball because I have a feeling defensive player of the year 
we're going to probably go the opposite. Well, that's what I'm saying. Bobby Okereke is yeah. my defensive player and of the Dexter year. Dexter Lawrence is my defensive player. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I don't want to duplicate. I mean, you can make a case for both of these guys being MVP yes. as well as defensive player. Yes. But in order to avoid the duplication, Dexter Lawrence would be my defensive player of the year. Because if you're looking at that facet of the team, as you highlighted with his numbers, he does a lot of the dirty work. He's the unsung hero. Everybody feeds off him. And he had 21 quarterback hits. Yeah. So, I mean, that alone warrants Defensive Player of the Year. And I think you would echo those sentiments with respect to what Bobby Okereke did for several other players, both behind him as well as in front of him. Yeah, 100%. You know, and um, the, the tandem, look, they wasn't statistically this year defensively. They weren't that great. You know, but at times they looked really good. At times they were dominant as well. You know, oh, sure. you look at the Commanders game and what they did, creating those six turnovers, giving a lot of chance for the uh, the offense. And that's I'm telling you, that's a, a correlation with Bobby Okereke and Dexter Lawrence. Man, they, the guys they played at a very high level on a consistent basis this year, and you know that got the Giants in very competitive games. You know, throughout the whole entire year, and that's basically on the defense really for what they did. And it's these two guys being you know the uh, the pinnacle parts, the anchors of this defense. They were the identity of the team, the yes. defense. Think about it. I mean, we talked about the offense all throughout the season, the struggles. If it wasn't for the defensive performance, more often than not, we could take a few of these games and maybe turn them into losses as opposed to wins. So that's more of a reason why I think the MVP should come from the defensive side of the ball. It's not right. to take anything away from Jonathan, the offensive players, but given the fact that this team did average under 20 points per game right. and touchdowns at times was a struggle and you look at the opportunistic plays on defense, I just think a defensive player makes a much stronger case to be the most valuable component of this team. With that being said, let's go to the offensive player of the year. And this becomes a little bit more challenging yeah, because is. of what I just laid out. I'll go first here, and I'm going to come up with a player here that... I think is a bit under the radar this season, but when you look overall, really put together a nice campaign, and I understand Saquon is the dangling fruit that's easy to grab. I'm not going to go with Saquon. Okay. Instead, Darius Slayton, to me, oh, wow. is my Offensive Player of the Year. And the reason being is, if you look closer at his numbers, Darius had a career high in receiving yards. He matched his career, high, his career high in receptions. Yeah, 770. Oh, but how much? Uh, I thought he had rookie year. I thought he had like 800 or something like that. His rookie year. I, I know he had a good year before rookie the year. season. Well, he did have a good rookie year. The reason why he had a good rookie year is I think you're thinking of the eight touchdowns. Eight touchdowns, right. right. Yeah, but when it comes to yardage, Darius actually had a career high this year. Yeah, and I was looking them over. I just four want to touchdowns. double check. Because you've given me a lot of big plays, here. eleven big plays. Yeah, his rookie year he had seven forty. Oh, so so seven seventy yeah. was a new career high. Got for him you. This okay, year. and then the fifty receptions matched what he did his second year in two thousand twenty. Got gotcha. you. He had four touchdowns, so that was half of what he had his rookie year. But twenty nineteen, the standout statistic was the eight touchdowns. Yep. So that's why I think that's the number that is jumping off the page for most people. And then yardage per reception fifteen point four. That was his second highest behind 2022. And we saw those big plays that he made, which mainly came up in the second half of the season. But the reason why he's my offensive player of the year is, as I mentioned, it was hard to put together explosive plays this yes. season. Darius is responsible, as you were just hinting at, the majority of those explosive plays, with the exception of Jalen Hyatt here or there. So Darius, to me, is my standout offensive player. Given the struggles, the changes at quarterback, what he still produced... He's my offensive player of the year. 
that's a, that's a good pick. Um, you know, Slayton has he was the respo- he was responsible for the Giants' explosiveness this year. You know, if you're gonna call their offense explosive at all, it's because of what he. Well, did, and that's why I'm saying sure. when it's limited, you've got to give credit right, to the player 100%. that gets it done. I, I agree. You know, and, and like you said, it's very hard to kind of pick offensively who was you know the, the MVP. You had three different quarterbacks playing this year. A lot of changes. You know, yep. a, a very heavy heavy box a lot. You know, uh, the highest uh, receptions for any player was 60, and that's that was Wandell. Yep. And he had, a, I think, a pretty good uh, campaign this year. But I think, you know, when you look at what Saquon Barkley did this year, he missed a couple of games, of course, because of injury. Um, but, you know, he still almost had 1,000 yards. You know, his average was only at 3.9, which is not great. But he had, you know, some big plays here and there. And, you know, when you go in to play the Giants, you know, and I played defense my whole life, you know, my nine years in the NFL, I, I was always in the meeting room. And the number one thing, and I, I think it's still this way now, even though the league is a little bit different, is stop the run. You know, when you look at the Giants uh, defensively, you know, going into a meeting and I'm looking at the Giants offense, he's highlighted as an elite player. Sure. You know, he's he's the guy that's the blue. That's the first person we're going to talk about. And, and that's who we're going to stop. And the Giants, you know, I think it's no question that the Giants want to give him the ball over 20 times a game. That's just kind of the Giants' philosophy. It's a great philosophy to have. But other teams know that. And they still weren't able to hold him down, I think, with the the carousel among, uh, offensive line, uh, with the the not so great play uh, on the offensive line throughout the year, and then three different quarterbacks playing, um, you know, receivers not really having, like we said, sixty catches, uh, Waller being out a lot. A lot of focus was on Saquon. Oh, there was know? a reason to keep guys in the <clears> box this season. And and I think game in and game out, I never looked at him and said, oh, he's not playing that well. Oh, he's not. You know, where's Saquon at? You know, that's because they don't give him the ball, not because he has the ball and he's not doing anything with it. You know, even with all the focus being on him, I think he still had a pretty good season for what this offense did. Like you said, this offense averaged what fifteen points a game. You know, and Saquon was responsible for rushing 51 first downs and rushing and then also in passing, he was responsible for sixteen. So he was a guy that you could rely on in the run game and the pass game. And like I said. He would have been, if Darius Slayton didn't have the season that he had, I think the easy choice that is Saquon. Because once again, you have limited choices. It's so tough pickings for the offense. Correct. And, and that's the main point, which leads me back to why the defensive player is the MVP this season because of what that side of the ball produced. All right, so we did MVP. We did offensive and defensive players of the year. Now let's focus on the first years, the rookies. And they do an offensive and a defensive rookie of the year each year at NFL Honors. So let's focus on that for this team. Let's start on the defensive side of the ball, your defensive rookie of the year in 2023. Uh, I think this is probably a consensus, right, what Banks did this year as a rookie. Um, You know, you know, he had some mistakes. He had some penalties. I expected those things to happen as a rookie, that cornerback position. You know, these receivers in the NFL, man, they're so talented, even in his division, you know, uh, going against A.J. Brown, Smith, and CeeDee Lamb, and, you know, uh, all of the guys in Dallas, Gallup, and, you know, Cooks, you know, this uh, Terry McLaurin, like our oh, division, yeah. our division is loaded sure. uh, with really good receivers. And, you know, the Giants played good receivers outside of the division as well. And Banks did not back down. You know, he was up in everybody's face. You know, uh, he had that real, that true short term memory, you know, whether whether it was a big play 
or or a bad play. He forgot about it and played the next play like it was his first play of the game. You know, and you got to take that in. It's very hard to play corner in this league. People think that it's hard to play corner because it's it's not. It's, it's just a physical thing, and you're matching up against these great wide receivers. That's a, that's a good thing, uh, but it's also you got to think at corner. People don't think you got to think that much, but there's a lot that goes into running a route. And there's a lot that goes into playing those routes when you're on defense. There's there's uh, route recognition, there's scheme, there's uh, run fits that you got to do. And I think Banks did a pretty good job this year. Oh, yeah. You know, I don't think he had the greatest rookie season ever, but as far as this team and what he did, I think he has to be the rookie of the year. Well, you're on an island a lot too, both from a mental and a physical standpoint. Yeah. So where he was tested, how he came out of that, I think is extremely valuable. And in fairness... Not a lot of competition for Deontay Banks when it comes to this award. Yeah, mainly because sure. other guys didn't play as much. Right. Right? I mean, Trey Hawkins didn't play after the early stage of the season. Owens saw time a little bit later on in the year. And Jordan Riley also some flashes Got late some, in the yeah. season. But sample size, Deontay Banks blows everybody else out of the water. So I'm with you. He's the consensus guy when it comes to defensive rookie of the year. Offensive rookie of the year, there's a few choices. Yep. I'm going to go with Jalen Hyatt, and it wasn't a sexy season, J.C., for him. He didn't put up astronomical numbers, but I think when his number was called, he made the most of his opportunities. How many deep balls did we see him track, kept his feet in? You know, John Michael Schmitz is another guy that I gave some heavy consideration for, but, you know, he had his battles up front because of the caliber of the competition that you were talking about that Deontay Banks went up against. Well, it was a bit of a rude awakening for John Michael Schmitz at times this season. And it's also hard to evaluate rookie offensive linemen yeah. because there's only so much that you could put them under the microscope. So Hyatt, the rationale behind me for Jalen Hyatt being And they don't win rookie of the, of the year anyway. Correct. Not that we're not going to consider them. Right? We're a little bit more bigger picture here yeah. in terms of our evaluation. But what I saw out of Hyatt, it wasn't so much the numbers. That's not what I want to get him caught up in. I'm getting caught up in when he was thrown the ball, the textbook fundamentals yeah. that were on display, tracking the ball, making the big plays, working with a variety of different quarterbacks. That's why I give Hyatt the edge for Offensive Rookie of the Year. <sighs> My Offensive Rookie of the Year, um, he played sparingly, uh, but when he played, uh, he gave the Giants hope. Uh, there was excitement in, in the stadium because of this kid, Tommy DeVito. Okay. And um, it says games played nine, but he only started, what, four, five games, was it? Was it five games? Yeah, I believe it was in that ballpark. In those five up. games, he was sacked 37 times. Or however many games he started. He played sparingly in other games. Well, they had two quarterbacks, remember, that were sacked <clears throat> at yeah. least 30 times yeah. this season. Um, yeah. But, you know, the, the kid, undrafted, nobody expected Six to, starts, by the way. Right, yeah, nobody, and he was what, three and three? Three and three. Three and three, yeah. I mean, that's no, so not. You're going with the quarterback that's, record that's here, not, too. No, I'm no, not, no, no, no. Yeah, I see what you're doing. I'm okay. going, well, yeah. that and the effect that I feel like he had on his team. You know, you were at the stadium, right? Like, the like the crowd was insane, right? Like, he, they they were going crazy when he made plays. They were going crazy when he would scramble and he'd do his little, you know, he said the Italian thing. You know, like, the, the kid had the moxie, he had the courage, and it's it's... He was the third string quarterback. First string quarterback, Daniel Jones, he goes down. Okay, tie rods up. Tommy DeVito's like, oh, tie rod got this. I ain't got to worry about nothing. <laughs> All of a sudden, tie rod goes down. Now he's thrusted into the job. Was that the Jets game? Was 
was that the first Jets? Yeah, was the, that Jets the Jets game. game the first Correct. time playing. Yes, that was when Tyrod. And that was a that was a rough deal where the Giants really didn't let them pass the ball. Well, at all. they were limited in terms of what <clears> they asked them to do. Correct. You know, but yeah. I th- I feel like after that, like the kid won some games. Like it wasn't just you know despite of him they won games. It was because of him. He sure. they did some some pretty good things. And you know not not one time just like um uh you know I said about or whoever I was saying earlier about he didn't play but uh, Saquon he didn't play poor. I didn't really see Tommy DeVito playing poorly. He threw a couple not so great passes, but as an undrafted rookie, thrown into the fire, not really taking no reps in camp, not taking no reps during the season with the first team, all of a sudden you're thrusted in, you're a starter in the middle of the season, and and it was a lot going on here in New York. Sure. It was a lot of, you know, attention being brought here, a lot of negative attention, you know, and he was able to, you know, kind of be, you know, steadfast through it and you know, he got the Giants a couple of wins. Not just him, of course. You know, Dexter Lawrence, Bobby Carr, all the guys that we're naming attributed to all of the, you know, the wins and, you know, the stats that the Giants put up this year. But Tommy DeVito, I think he was the unsung hero for a team that lost his uh, starting two quarterbacks. Well, you don't have to be drafted. Undrafted guys fall under this category. So we are not going to discriminate in terms of whether or not you were selected <laughs> in the seven rounds. Most improved comeback player of the year. The other two categories that I want to get to. Let's start with most improved. And here, to me, it's a slam dunk for Micah McFadden. I mean, the okay. season that he put together, and part of this is his own hard work, but I think another part of it is what Wink Martindale and the defense asked him to do. I mean, McFadden was a completely different player this season. And the other side of the equation is he took advantage of his reps. And you've seen this, JC. It's one thing to get the playing time. It's another thing to then produce. So he played... 17 games in 2022, he was credited with seven starts, but it's more about the snap count because all that means is you're on the field for the first play. Yeah. 16 games this year, credited with 14 starts, and he went from 59 combined tackles to 101. He went from 36 solo to 63. He went from six tackles for loss to 12, two quarterback hits to six. He went down by one with sacks, but fumble recoveries, zero to four. He was opportunistic with an interception. Bobby Okereke and him, I thought, were the perfect combo because he played so well off of what Okereke brought to the table. But McFadden took a huge jump, and the value that the Giants could perhaps get out of him moving forward, it's hard to put that into terms because of what they were able to see jump-wise from 22 to 23. So he's my most improved player. And yeah. honestly, I don't think anybody else comes close unless no, I, that's you want to make it. the case. No, somebody. you know, yeah. you just told me what we were doing before, so I'm sitting there trying to <laughs> scour the roster well, right I now. I like to put you in an adverse situation. That's fine. That's and, fine. And see I, how I'll you perform. respond. Just because yep. your playing days are over doesn't know, right? mean that Keep me on my toes, exactly. man. Keep yes. me on my toes. Um, but yeah, I, I don't really see, you know, even even from this year, from the first couple games of the year, yeah. McFadden was missing some tackles. And that's the thing with him. He's always kind of around the ball. You know, so he's either going to make it or miss it. You know, and early in the season, he was missing. He was missing some tackles. I don't know if it was the Dallas or the Cardinals, San Fran. One of the early games, I was just looking like, man, he's he's struggling right now. Like he missed like four like tackles by himself. Yeah, I think it was the Arizona. Yeah, game. Yeah, and he was struggling. And then uh, you watched him kind of improve as the season went on. You watched him respond, and yeah. So even this year. From start to finish, he was the most improved player, not just from last year. So I, I love the way he played. Uh, he had great synergy with McKinney. I mean, with McKinney, with, with Okarake. Um, and that was a great one-two punch. He, he seemed like, you know, he filled in that spot good. And even 
you know, the highly touted Isaiah Simmons. Of course, he didn't get sent here for too much, but everybody appreciates his athleticism and what he brings sure. to the table in that regard. McFadden kept him basically on the bench, basically for the whole season, you know. And Isaiah Simmons got rotated in. I think he started a couple games late, but that was McFadden's job. McFadden was the first and second down guy uh, alongside Bobby O'Carrake, and Isaiah Simmons came in on third down. But I agree with you. I think uh, McFadden had a really, really solid year at his outside linebacker position. Middle linebacker, I call it outside. If Dane Belton played more based on what he did at the tail end of the season, he would have made a stronger case. But the sample size between him and McFadden is on opposite ends of the spectrum. All right, comeback player of the year. Now, comeback, remember. Give me a second with this one. No, that's fine. I'm going to give you a second. (laughs) Well, here's how I'm going to buy you time. I want to explain it to our viewers because everybody views comeback. It's coming back from injury. To me, comeback is not just injury. Geno Smith won comeback player of the year last season. He wasn't hurt. So it could be somebody that had a rough go the previous year, straightened out and all of a sudden proved to be a very reliable weapon. So you don't have to pick somebody that was hurt. Mm -hmm. I think it's easy to go with somebody that's hurt, and there is somebody that comes to my mind that deserves the award, but I don't want to just focus on players that were hurt. You can go in a direction of somebody that you know, maybe had a rough patch the previous season, got more playing time, became more of a stabilized force this season. So a variety of different directions – I would not read too much into comeback having to be synonymous with injury. Mm -hmm. And there are a few intriguing ones when you open the door beyond the injury label. So I don't know if I bought you enough time or you want me to go first. You want me to go first. Well, the obvious one, and I'm probably going to wind up taking perhaps the one that you were going to go with, but I'll go with my secondary if you don't bring up Wondell Robinson. What he did in the second half of the season, coming off the torn ACL, I think we're going to be talking about him. I'll give you a little bit of a teaser for the 2024 version of this. Wandell, to me, is going to be the most improved player in 2024 because you give him a full season with that speed and full health, watch out. I think the sky is the limit. I was very high on him coming into this season. Maybe I thought the rehab process was going to go a little bit quicker and that he was going to become Superman, but I think you come to the realization everybody's different. It's not easy. But Wandell, what he did in the second half of the season, warrants absolutely the label of comeback player of the year. Because I think what he did in a small sample size is still impressive because, as you pointed out, JC, he finished with the most receptions on the team, even though in the first half of the season he wasn't getting nearly as many targets. So I think that says a lot about what he was able to accomplish given the injury and the revolving door at quarterback. I'm looking at the roster right now. There's another guy. That, that that I'll give you a hint. I think if you look on the offensive line, there's somebody else that you can make a case Bredesen? for comeback player of the year. Somebody else on the interior. Uh, Shane? Not Shane. Not Andrew Thomas. Not Andrew Thomas. A veteran <laughs> who joined the team. Justin Pugh. Justin Pugh. Oh, Pugh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just... Right over, over my head. My only, the only player. teammate, him yeah. and Sterling. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, that's I mean, good. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Q comes back, what he took on, 
not saying that he was an all-pro or a pro bowler, and he'd admit that himself, but the tough situation he was thrown into, right? He had to fill Pew the void. Pew definitely skipped my mind. I'm so yeah. sorry, Pew. I love you so much. That's my guy. Well, we um, know Justin watches religiously, well, so right look, now. I'm looking at the stats. I think you should stare look, look, into the camera look, look, a little bit closer. <laughs> I did. And I, I want to see a tear come down as well. I'm sitting here yeah. looking at the stats, and Pew name doesn't come up with well, of course. stats. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's why we were talking about John and Michael Schmitz earlier yeah. in the program. Good luck, Justin, um, that. But yeah, no, that's that's right? a good one. You you brought up to my attention, and if, if my brain would have been working uh, functionally today. Well, we'll excuse it. Like I said, I put you in a diverse situation, um, so that's on me. I, yeah. So I'll go with Pew then. You, you, you took... Um, uh, I, I took Wandell yeah, Robinson. You took Wandell so, who... So you get credit great for Justin Pugh, and now yeah, yeah. Pugh feels I a lot brought better. It up. I brought yes, it up. because you were yeah. the one that ignited. Yeah. Even though Maz weighed in, <laughs> I weighed in, I gave you 75 clues, but it's okay. Yes. You did. You did. Yeah. I aimed everybody on offensive line but him. Um, but <laughs> what his impact, I feel like, right? on the yeah. locker room. You know, uh, he was taking the guys out. He was making sure the guys ate, you know, with each other, the fellowship. And I feel like that is a recipe for success in terms of camaraderie, in terms of fellowship, in terms of bringing the locker room together, in terms of feeling like a family. And I think Pew was the one that got here and was like, hey, guys, we got to start getting together. We got to start meeting. We got to start yep. talking. We got to start loving each other up outside of the building. And that'll help us on the field, which is which is true. So sorry, Pew, I forgot about you a little bit. There we go. So those are a few individual awards, and if you have others that you want to chime in on, we're going to get to some phone calls in a little bit as we move forward here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. One other one that I wanted to throw out here for Comeback Player of the Year, or I should say Most Improved, Jason Pinnock, I think, deserves some consideration yeah, for Most Improved. A really good year. What he was able to contribute this season, even going back to training camp when he made that one-handed interception that absolutely set the tone and stole the thunder, at least on the defensive side of the ball. So in addition to what's going on in terms of the end-of-the-season perspective. We're also monitoring what's happening in Mobile, Alabama with the Senior Bowl as our very own John Schmelk has gone from the Shrine Bowl to the Senior Bowl. It's like, where's Waldo? It's where's John Schmelk these days? And John now joins us here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's happening, John? How are we doing? Hey, what's up, guys? I am at uh, Hancock Whitney Stadium here in Mobile, Alabama. The first practice just wrapped up. The the guys are doing a little walkthrough before stretch even in practice number two. And it's been fun watching the guys. The weather down here is lovely. It's around 60 degrees, little breeze. It's been really fun watching some of these guys, and we have one practice in the books here. And you can see the jump in talent level mm. going from Shrine to Senior Bowl. You can see that there are some legit round one, early round two, guys in this game who has jumped out on you uh because you said this is day one right first practice anybody jumped out you know from the field just like Man, who is that or i mean you know who everybody is but like you know wow these guys the real deal did you see anybody like that first day no, absolutely. Uh, we, we only got to see one team so far, so I can only comment on the um, national roster. But I think, you know, Bo Nix and Michael Penix look the part. Uh, they're big. they got good arms. They can make all the throws. But I will say, much like we saw at some points during the season, Penix a little erratic on a couple throws here or there. Um, Roman Wilson, the national champion and slot-wide receiver from Michigan, no one could cover him. He was mm. getting open the entire practice, over the middle, top of the route, just too quick for guys to really stay with him. But to me, and this will probably, I don't know if it will depress JC, but the, to me the stars were the offensive linemen, and I think they really dominated the, the front against the defense over the course of this practice. Uh, I think probably the best player I saw on the field was Jackson Powers Johnson, the guard and center. He played both positions at Oregon. He played both positions today from Oregon. Just dominant. Uh, moving guys off the ball, really good punch, uh, was dominant in one-on-one -on -one drills. Uh, Talisi Fuaga, he's going to be a first-round offensive yep. tackle out of 
Washington State, uh, Oregon State, pardon me. Um, he was excellent. He was only at right tackle today. I'm curious to see if they either move him to guard or left tackle at some point during the week. But today he was right tackle only. And I thought he did a really nice job. He gets his hands on you. That rep is over. Um, one of the guys, it looked like he might have got tired at the end of practice because he did get beat a little bit in, in a couple one-on-ones towards the end. Uh, Kingsley Suamatai from BYU. He's 6'4", he's 3'30", he has 34 and a quarter inch arms, and he can move. He is an athlete. Uh, he was at right tackle today. I think he had one snap at left tackle as well. But he's a guy that I think is going to be a first-round pick in this year's draft. Um, and then Roger Rosengarn from Washington tackle was, um, I thought, impressive. He did a nice job out there. Jordan Morgan, who's a potential first-round offensive lineman out of Arizona, he had a couple rough reps, to be honest with you. On defense, uh, Leitu Latu from UCLA, he's probably going to be a top-20 pick, either the first or second pass rusher coming off the board. Um, he was excellent today. And then the top cornerback uh, that's here um, was in this practice, Quinn Mitchell from Toledo. Uh, he's six foot, he's 195 pounds, he's long, and I think he knocked her, I think I saw him knock down two or three passes over the course of practice, which is JC knows and one-on-ones and stuff. It's, it's tough living as a defensive back, but I thought of all the DBs, he, he definitely stood out amongst the group. Yeah, I saw some highlights. Fuaga went up against Latu, and boy, did Latu have some problem yeah. navigating Fuaga in yes. terms of that offensive line, defensive line. Latu got his hands on him and just yeah. chucked him right to the ground. <laughs> Without a doubt, yeah. He mm-hmm. was treating him like a rag doll, for the lack of a better term. The other guy that I saw receiving a lot of buzz, John, I don't know if you saw much of him, is uh, Florida wide receiver Ricky Pearsall. A lot of people, at least on social media and from the commentary I saw on television, were interested in what he would do on one-on-ones. He seemed to make some contested catches in the end zone. I was just curious if anything may have caught your eye because he moved around. He was at Arizona State, and then he jumped to Florida over the last two years. Yeah, O-line, D-line one-on-ones were the same time as the wide receiver one-on-one. So I watched live the offense-defensive line. Luckily, I will get access to the practice tape, and I'm going to watch the wide receiver one-on-ones a little bit later on. So I saw a little bit of the wide receivers. I I saw a little bit of the wide receivers during the team portion, but I did not watch the one-on-ones. So um, I did see him make one catch on a slant, I believe, but otherwise I, he did not jump out of me. But again, I, I was watching the big man up front. How is uh, Peter Bowden from Wisconsin? He's a he's a long snapper. <laughs> yeah, now we know why. He's really digging deep, JC. See, he brought up the roster, John, so he wants to know everything about Badgerland, apparently. Um, yeah. No, good, but for, for a real question, how are they evaluating, um, and it, is this an evaluation? It has to be a real evaluation. Like these linebackers, the defensive linemen, these tight ends, these running backs, these guys that are going to get to the NFL, and some of them are going to only make it for special teams. Yeah, how are they evaluating? They're doing real live periods. Uh, are they doing one on one drills in special teams? Because I know when I was in the league, like that was like a real heavy emphasis. Those one on one drills that you would do against a very similar athlete, uh, you know, and they would see and evaluate you that way. And I remember me and um, JT Thomas, we, we we came in the same year, basically for the same position. We were good friends, and we would go after each other on special teams, those one-on-one drills in training camp. They did, they did two special teams periods where you did get a lot of the, you know, gunner and the blockers and the gunners having their reps there on the outside, but they did not do specific one-on-ones. Uh, I should mention, though, for, for you, JC, 
your non-Wisconsin long snapper that's here, because I'll be honest, I, I was not paying attention to the long snapper. <laughs> you wasn't? <laughs> but your guard, Tanner Bordellini, who is 6'3 and a half, 305 pounds, he, I mean, he just – it looks like he was created to play guard at Wisconsin. He's just a big guy. He mauls you and moves you around. He's got a nasty attitude. I thought he played pretty well. One running back, you mentioned it, uh, the position and linebacker that I'll bring up to you. Marshawn Lloyd out of USC. He's not a big guy. He's 5'9", but he's 217 pounds. So at 5'9", 217s, he's got some thickness to him, right? He's quick. Um, he made a couple guys miss in short areas in the hole that I thought was Pretty darn impressive. I thought he had a good day. And then of the linebackers, I think you'd really like uh, Peyton Wilson, JC, out of North Carolina State. 6'4", 234, really gets downhill, a bit of a thumper. He had some injury issues. I think he had two or three seasoning injuries in his five years at NC State. So medicals will be a big deal for him. But uh, he definitely got involved in the run game. I don't know how JC feels about some of these West Coast teams now joining the Big Ten. They were <laughs> in territory originally that wasn't necessarily infringing upon well, Lance, his old e- school. Even <laughs> yeah. worse, Wisconsin went to like the spread offense this year. I mean, that's this is th- that, that that's so ridiculous. different. Yeah. So different. So, see, this is what happens. <laughs> when we didn't even know what a wide receiver yet. was when I was in college. <laughs> a wide receiver? What? Skip us tight ends and offensive linemen, and running backs. <laughs> so, John, in terms of moving forward, what's on the schedule for tomorrow? and looking ahead or even hearing from some individuals that you're anticipating? No, that yeah, I appreciate you asking, Lance. So if you go to the Giants Little Podcast, uh, yesterday we posted all our interviews from, from the Shrine game. Uh, Maz will be able to tell us, Dom, whether or not the Eric Galco interview is up there on the huddle yet today. If not, it will be shortly. It's not yet, but it will be. There you go. So um, he, he runs the Shrine Bowl. So that will be the rest of our Shrine Bowl content yesterday and today. Um, draft season, Tony, Pauline, and I are going to record that after practice today. So that will post tomorrow. Uh, then tomorrow afternoon I get to do my Senior Bowl player interviews. That will post on uh, Thursday. And then I'll find – I think I'm going to do Jordan Reed from ESPN, their draft analyst. And we will uh, break down everything we saw at practice here for uh, the Huddle Podcast, which will drop on Friday. So a a busy, content-filled week. We have another practice that's going on right now. We have double practices tomorrow and Thursday. Our practice report's up on Giants.com as well. So if people are interested in what's going on down here, we'll have it covered every which way. Sounds good. Well, we'll let you get caught up on the practices that are going on, and we'll continue to speak to you down the line uh, throughout the course of the week here. Thank you, guys, and I'll, yeah. and, I'll be, and I'll be live on BBK next couple of days right around the same time. So we'll be rocking and rolling. Right. Sounds good. John Schmel with us here. Thanks, guys. You got it. From the Senior Bowl in Mobile, Alabama, talking about some of the standouts from day one of practice, and he will be monitoring the ins and outs. As we're seeing a lot of the individual drills today. If you flip on the television, you can see it, social media, and so forth. This is when you can really see the separation between the men and the boys. And once again, Fuaga. That kid is quite the presence, the Oregon State tackle. If he goes to a team that needs assistance, he will make an immediate presence. I would be very surprised if he struggles on the next level, given how he's handling himself against some of the premier talent on the defensive side of the ball. All right, let's open up the phone lines as we move forward here. 201-939-4513. Real quickly, though, before we do that, just a few reminders in terms of programming slash looking ahead to the upcoming season. Giants Huddle Podcast, you can check that out on your favorite podcast platform. You can also go to Giants.com slash podcast. 
As far as taking your fandom to the next level, season ticket membership. You can stay connected to the club all year round, not just on game days. Memberships are now available for the 2024 season. To learn more about all the exclusive member benefits, visit Giants.com slash tickets. Limited inventory is available. And the Giants official connected TV streaming app. Giants TV, it brings you original video content, game highlights on demand and direct to big blue fans. Giants TV, it's free. It's on Apple TV, Roku, Amazon Fire TV, as well as the Giants mobile app. All right, let's head to the phone lines, and we check in with James in Georgia here on BBKO. What's happening, James? What do you got for us? What's going on, guys? How you doing today? We're doing all right. What's, What's on, on your mind? Uh, um, so last week I called about the Shrine uh, games and how they're putting in underclassmen, and um, Paul was going to ask John how they, um, if they switched, like, the numbers, if it was like um, – that they added the underclassmen, did they take away from the number of seniors and just keep it one strict number, or did they add underclassmen and now it's a larger group of uh, kids you have to look at? Um, I don't know if he ever got that question from him. But, um, yeah, I can't answer whether or not he asked him that. I mean, we could bring it up as we move forward throughout the course of the week. I believe they just added to the evaluation of the talent pool. I don't know if they created more roster spots just because they now extended the pool to underclassmen. Because, I mean, there's still, there's got to be a limitation as to how many players they can invite, you know, given the layout of the land and everything. When did they start doing that? They started doing that this This year. year? Yeah. Well, why don't you ask the other question, and then we'll answer both of them simultaneously. Uh, Yeah. My my last point would just kind of be I'm still pounding the table for Jaden Daniels, even if you got to do an Eli Manning-type trade to get down to not saying number one, but maybe two or three to, you know, if that's how low you got to go to get one of them top three guys. But I'm I'm pounding the table for Jaden Daniels still. I know a lot of people are in, and, you know, I, I just think that you know, I've seen enough of the Daniel Jones movie. I'll take you guys right, All right James. there. Yep. Appreciate it. Appreciate the phone call. I mean, keep in mind, remember, the teams that are selecting in that two to three area also are in need of a quarterback. Mm-hmm. So it takes two to tango, as I like to say. Just because you want to move up doesn't mean it can be accomplished under those circumstances. I don't know if you want to address the uh, defensive coordinator question yeah I, I didn't really see like this year what happened uh with wink and and the giants i've never really seen anything play out like that um i've seen players kind of do stuff like that <laughs> we, i've been around some some wild boys some yeah, yeah man um but there was a a, a instant uh, incident that happened um when i was in tampa we were um you know in tampa it rains a lot down there and there, there were no indoor so like we were in a little bit of rain, it's fine, but in thunderstorms, you can't go outside. Like they, they don't allow you to be anywhere close to the field. 
So when we knew it was a thunderstorm, we would go to like this, I don't know, church or something. It was like this big like banquet hall. And we would, we would do like walkthroughs and practice in there. It, it would tear, I hated doing it because it's not real practice, you know. Um, but there was one time with Coach Sheridan, he was our defensive coordinator uh, for under Greg Sciano. Greg Sciano. Bill was, Sheridan, right? You're yeah. About? Mm-hmm. yeah. Sure. And um, man, you guys were talking and, you know, Coach uh, uh, Sciano was trying to get his point across to the defense. And Coach Sheridan was coaching one-on-one with the guy, like just kind of talking to him. And he and and coach uh, uh, man, Shiano, he just was like everybody be quiet, and then he was like everybody shut up, and he like kind of looked right at Sheridan, and I looked at him and looked at Sheridan, and I was like oh man, like the power struggle, you know, and and yeah. not to say that the same thing happened here, I don't think so, but you know it's it's the, it's the head coach's deal, you know, it's like he runs the show on the field, and sometimes you know a coach, and I'm using Sheridan as an example because I saw this happen. You know, he wasn't doing anything, you know, uh, subordinate, you know, insubordinate. Like, he he was just coaching. He was doing his thing. And usually when coaches tell everybody to shut up, he talks to the players, you know. So that power struggle right there when I noticed, and Sheridan really didn't coach for the rest of the day. You know, so I, and that's that's the human part of football. That's, yeah. that's the side that people don't understand where, you know, that little clash of heads might have just ruined their relationship forever. I don't know. I didn't really pay attention to it. Uh, Coaches got fired anyway. Um, we weren't that good, um, but you know, th- there's there's a human aspect that comes into you know there was something that happened. There was something that said. There was you know a look. You know uh, there was a, a brief disagreement between men, and I think that's probably what happened here. Not the same you know situation. That 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 was a little that was intense. Like that was like man. Like as a man, that's rough to see. Sure. You know, because Sheridan he just kind of folded. You know and. I don't say I don't. I don't know if I would have did that as a defensive coordinator. Maybe you know, but like I got a mouth on me, you know, and uh, <laughs> I've been known to definitely voice my opinion. Um, but that was rough to see, and 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 it that probably ended any type of man. I, I if, I'm being Coach Sheridan. Man, I really appreciate Shiano. Da, 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 it probably ended that day, you know, when him doing that because it's like why why are you doing that? And not like I said, not to say that that happened here, but I'm pretty sure there was clashing that was happening which is a natural thing between men you know i clash with my teammates i clash with my coaches but the the i guess the fluidity of having the conversation you know communication was always there you know and and look i was let go i was suspended actually one time because i was quote unquote insubordinate and i'm not like that you know it was just kind of like a, a disagreement between myself and the coach and I said I was going to do one thing he basically told the coach I was I had, I had coach I was doing something else and ended up getting suspended for a preseason game and that sucked because I'm sitting at home watching uh, the Bucks play the Bills in preseason and it's like what is happening right now I was so com- of course, this is, this is weird this stadium. is, yeah, this is so crazy um, and then not to say I reevaluate everything but it was like you got to kind of give a little bit, you know, at, at times when it comes to that power dynamic, you know, in, in terms of because uh, like for me, it's all about respect, you know, and I, I try to be as respectful as possible. But the guy, uh, the Hardy Nickerson was the coach who kind of I kind of got into it with him with. And it was it was two men, you know what I mean? He felt some type of way about it. I felt some type of way about it. He felt a little bit differently than I felt. And he well, went back to Lovey, yeah. and he, he went back to uh, Leslie Frazier was the defensive coordinator that okay. year. And uh, they ended up sitting me down. 
you know, for for a game, and that was a big like, whoa, I got suspended. Like I'm not like I'm not that guy. Like you know, I, I'm not I'm not like a brown nose or anything. But like I'm working hard. I'm at work. I'm doing my thing, and you know, I give my effort. Like I loafed one time on the field, one time, you know, and that's all the way back in training camp in my rookie year. And I got cursed out by Greg Williams. I never did it again. So, like, my effort was always there. But sometimes, you know, sometimes they gave us a little homework, and I wasn't too excited about that. (laughs) I'm sure there's some students that can relate in that department as well. I just looked up the Senior Bowl breakdown, 58-man rosters. And from what I understand, that has not changed, even with now them opening the door to underclassmen. Because keep in mind, juniors were eligible previously to play in the Senior Bowl as long as they met graduation requirements. So they had to be in their fourth year. at Well, what? no, because you could be no, graduated right. in so three years. So if you had yeah, enough right. credits to right. be to labeled be as, as a senior, senior graduating, finishing in the spring, you could still classify okay. for yep. the Senior Bowl. So they're not... To answer the caller's question, they have not adjusted the roster just because they're opening up the talent pool here. So it's still 58-man rosters. That has not changed as a result of the landscape here. All right, let's head back to the phone lines. We check in with Hugo in New Jersey here on BBKL. What's happened to Hugo? What do you got for us? Hey, good afternoon, guys. Hey, Lance, um, I'm really calling in response to a call you received yesterday from a caller. I believe his name was uh, Mike in Massachusetts. And he made the point that the Giants had a talent evaluation problem um, in retaining players. So, in other words, they let useful players walk away. Sure. And I, I, I think Paul's stance was that there was no talent evaluation problem. And i, I got to say, I completely disagree. I mean, I think Mike's examples may have been a little bit off, but I, I think you were right in noting Kevin Zeitler, I will also know another prominent player, B.J. Hill. But I've been watching football all season, and every once in a while I say, oh, there's a former Giant. There's, uh, I'm just going to give you some less prominent guys. Isaac Yadam with the New Orleans Saints. Tanner Hudson with the Cincinnati Bengals. Khalid well, Raymond Hudson, in fairness, was not a homegrown player, though. Well, who's that? Hudson was not a homegrown player. Though. Hey, Jonathan Hankins. So, no, I was I, mad when I, he left. I'm, you know, saying, yeah. I'm, sa- I'm saying these were players that were in-house. Well, and there were no ec- and economic reasons for letting them go. It was, and, and by the way, I don't think it's just like a front office talent evaluation problem. I think it's a joint thing between the front office and the coaching staff. It, look, it used to be that when the Giants let go of a player, rarely did he play for other teams or make any meaningful contribution. There were spots where it happened, and we understood it for economic reasons and in areas where there was other talent already in-house, notably the defensive tackle position. I'll go from Cornelius Griffin, Barry Cofield, Linville Joseph, Davlin Thomas. Well, yeah, I mean, and they used One to generation do... after another. Correct. Well, they would, <laughs> they would always they would draft another player right. to then replace that right. guy. I mean, that seems well, to be the that's, trend. Right. Bro, that's yeah. the NFL, right. bro. Right. Yeah. But, that's, I mean, that's, that's the but, NFL. But, yep. but, Kevin, but Kevin Zeitler being cut for economic reasons to make cap room for um, guys like uh, Galladay and Kyle Rudolph because you're reaching to give Daniel Jones weapons is a misstep. It's a failure. to Look, here's a statistical thing. When the population size gets big enough, it's not a random event. There's some underlying causality. And I think the Giants have a problem, and they ought to recognize the problem and try to rectify it. The other thing Paul said that I completely I don't think maybe he was suggesting this, but I think it's a crazy concept. Is that a player's personality profile is somewhat 
separate from uh, talent evaluation that we're really that you're completely justified based on a player's skill set to take them. And I would say, actually, the personality profile to me is one of like the biggest factors in in, in taking a player because otherwise you make mistakes like Eric Flowers, um, Apple, Eli Apple, which was noted yesterday, um, DeAndre Baker, and Kadarius Tony. Think of all that first-round capital that's just gone, wasted. No impact, no positive impact on the team. So I hope what Paul is saying is not reflective of the thinking inside the building because if it is, that's a problem that needs to be rectified as well. Well, I mean, once again, there's no doubt about it that we talked about the reason why the Giants have had some issues is because they did not strike gold in the draft. I think that's been well documented. I don't necessarily think that you're bringing anything new to the forefront. Any NFL team, and JC can attest to this because he's been with other organizations, you can't make up for everything in free agency. And appreciate the phone call, Hugo. You can't continue to go back into the well of a spending frenzy. You have to be able to draft and develop. I mean, there's a reason why certain teams like the Green Bay Packers, like the Pittsburgh Steelers, consistently make the playoffs. It's because they don't go aggressively into free agency year in and year out. Instead, they emphasize the draft. So, I mean, the Giants are not, J.C., different than the rest of the NFL landscape. But I reference, on yesterday's program, I reference Kevin Zeitler because Zeitler's the best example of a player that went to another team and was not just a complementary weapon. We're talking about a starting offensive lineman at a position of need for the Giants. All of the other players that the caller yesterday and even Hugo just threw out, I don't think they match what Kevin Zeitler has done. I mean, Tanner Hudson, I understand you want to say he's had a few good highlights with the Bengals. Hudson was with the Bucks, he was with the Niners, he was with the Giants, and he was with the Bengals. So if you want to accuse the Giants, then you should accuse the Bucks and the Niners for passing up on him. I mean, and look, this is the NFL. That happens. Like, I, I yeah. think the whoever's the call was yes, I think they're reaching a little bit. And and it's because they're focused solely on the Giants. But like the Chiefs just let they let Tyreek Hill go last year. Well, they traded him, yeah. You know, like you they traded him. Like they got rid of the best receiver in the league. You know, like this happens all the time. And part of that was fueled by and, money. And look who's in the Super Bowl without Tyreek Hill, yeah. right? And then also look at the other team, San Fran. They gave up everything for Trey Lance. Like stuff happens where you got to evaluate talent and you make a decision. Sure. You know whether that's bringing them in as in the draft, bringing them as a free agency, or opposite, letting them go. You know what happens. You know we lost Jonathan Hankins. He's been a starter for the Dallas Cowboys ever since. You know, and and I didn't want him to leave. Yeah, that's my best friend. Him and Snacks. You know, but it happens. That's how the league is. You know, but I think they're reaching a little bit because you're solely focused on the Giants. But this happens throughout the league. I mean, think about a lot of guys like Jadavion Clowney. He's still playing good football right now. Geno Smith. He was let go oh, from Gino's several example, teams. Yeah. You know, and it's like you never really know what's going to happen. Because the you know, environment. Kenny Galladay. You can't tell me when they got him here that he wasn't a quality uh, a free agent signing. He was. From what he did in his career, he was. He just didn't pan out. That's how, That happens. There's no way you can say Kenny Galladay didn't deserve that contract. Just like when people argue Daniel Jones didn't deserve the contract. He did. He earned it. The People in the NFL, there's only a couple of times it happened in my whole longevity of being involved. My rookie year was 2009. I've been involved ever since. I've been involved for a long time. I haven't seen too many guys that didn't get what they deserved in terms of a contract. 
You know, I'm like, man, he should never got that money. I, I've never seen it. There was one guy a long time ago. I'm not going to say his name, but it, I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it. This is, and this is why I love the NFL. You, you can't go out there and, and, and show your highlights and get paid. You're not going to get signed by showing your highlights. You know, you can't say, oh, I'm this, I'm that, I'm that. No, you have to prove it. And that's the great thing about the NFL. Every single person in the NFL is proven. You know, and they get their money because they're proven. And sometimes, economically, whether it's a, a roster change or, or just don't fit, or you got to be moved, new coaches, whatever it is, the turnover in NFL is over and over every year. You just can't keep the same guys. You know, it's just, it just really hard to do it. And I, I think you're so focused on the Giants. It's like, I don't think they're – look, over the last few regimes, there have been some mistakes made. Even this regime, that's going to continue to happen. Nobody's going to bat a 1,000. You know, Saquon Barkley. They, they questioned Saquon Barkley number two. He was the number two pick overall. A lot of people questioned Gettleman. And there was other questionable things, but I never questioned that pick. And still to this day, I don't question that pick. You know, but that's people going to do that all the time. You sure. know, they're going to yeah. they're gonna pick and prod. And look, I have no no qualms with this regime and how they're evaluating talent and Joe Shane and who those guys are bringing in. But it's up to the guys that they bring in to perform. That's it. Well, and also every team makes financial decisions. I mean, I bring up Kevin Zeitler, but Zeitler was let go because they needed to then maximize and try to address other spots. Did it work out? It may have not worked out, but the intent behind why they made the move was because they said, hey, we need more offensive weaponry. Unfortunately, while they went to get after more offensive weaponry, those guys didn't necessarily stay healthy and pan out, and then you still had a hole on the offensive line, yep. which was created by that move. B.J. Hill was brought up. Okay, Hill was traded for Billy Price from the Bengals because they needed help on the offensive line. B.J. Hill is playing a lot more in Cincinnati than he ever played here with the Giants. Yeah. I mean, I, I just even brought up his snap count to confirm it. His last two years with Cincinnati, he's played at least 71% of the snaps. That's a lot for the defensive linemen. The most snaps he's played with the Giants was 59%, which was his rookie year. But which, That's down, a lot too, though, for a defensive lineman. No, but then it went down to 44 and then 35. And oh, by the way, he played 16 games in all three of those seasons. Mm -hmm. So you can't say this is a result yeah. of an injury. But the bottom line is, and you've seen this, a team also has to play a player for him to be productive. Yeah. So Hill fits in better in Cincinnati. He's playing more, and that's why it warranted a new contract for him. So I think that also is another piece of the pie. I want to use myself for an example, too, yeah. because uh, my fifth my fifth year in the league, uh, sixth year, I did four years in New Orleans, my second year in uh, Tampa Bay, and this is the year I got traded. When I got to Tampa uh, in 2014, I was a rotator guy, you know, playing some special teams. But like that, I was like right behind Levante David and, and Mason Foster. I was like that third or fourth linebacker. You know, I was playing, but not you know a full time starter. Then my next year, I was competing for the starting job, but I got hurt in that off season. Oh, excuse me, I got hurt the year before. I got knee surgery and I came in, so I was a little bit off in terms of you know the way I was running and moving and, and the way I played. And I, I struggled a little bit that, that second year in Tampa. And I uh, didn't have a great start to the season. Kind of, I, I won a starting job, kind of lost a starting job a little bit. And I just felt like I wasn't playing well. you know. And then I ended up getting traded in the middle of the season. I went to New England, play for them, start a couple games for them, have tackles on special teams, on defense, play in the Super Bowl. Like, you know, I, I, I win a ring and then I get signed with the Giants. I played three years at the Giants. Uh, basically, I started for three years, was a captain. Like, I, I, you know, was able to bounce back. But, like, 
is it Tampa wrong for giving me, you know what I mean? Like trading me away, you know, and it's timing and situations too. Like I was basically hurt when I was down there. And I think I did get a little healthy as the season went on, but like I I struggled a little bit early, you know, and that's me being, you know, an adult and looking back on my career, man, like, you know, I wasn't playing well. I kind of lost my starting job a little bit, you know, and and things happen, you know, and and I had a conversation with Ojolari this year. And I talked to him about kind of my my journey a little bit and how I was basically hurt my first four or five years in the league. And I got healthy when I was in New York and I had my best three years of my career, my last three years in the league. And I was hurt the whole time, but I was able to kind of figure out how to play with it. And then I hit a stretch where I was kind of relatively healthy. And look, the, a lot of the guys that are getting moved around the league, you know, sometimes it's financial, sometimes it's that. Guys can't stay healthy. I think sure. Waller was landed here in New York because of that reason. Yeah, well, I think the Raiders started to say, how much longer are we going to hold on to him if we don't know if he's going to hold up? And that's yeah. the entire running back market, right? How long yeah. can these guys hold up for? So it's not so black and white when you look at stuff like this. You know, it's a lot of stuff that goes There's on. There's different reasons. So, that's why I'm just kind of putting no, my no, example out sure. there. And we could just, yeah. I mean, we could get, every individual in the league has their own little story about what happened to Who's them in free town? agency or the draft or whatever, whether they slid up, moved back, or whatever the case is. And there are just so many different reasons that, I mean, we would never know all the reasons that's really going on, you know? Yeah, but it's not, once again, there's not one rationale behind why. It's not a sol- right, it's not correct. a solve Every player everything. is moved on, exactly. All right, let's try to squeeze in a caller or two. Scott's in New Mexico, joining us here on BBKO. What's happening, Scott? What do you got for us? Hi, guys. Uh, first of all, I disagree with Hugo. Uh, I'll cite his own example. Uh, Darius Tony was traded to Kansas City. What did he do? He helped them win a Super Bowl. Talent evaluation can mean a lot of different things. It could mean how That's the first name you bring up, Kadarius Tony. <laughs> right. And then Andy He's going Reed, through it right now. And Kadarius Tony can't catch a pass this season, so what does Andy Reid do? He sits him. Yep. And you're, it's talent evaluation from both sides, the player and the coach. But my main point, I agreed with pretty much everything you guys said in regards to the most valuable players and so forth, but somebody who was a little bit overlooked was Tyrod Taylor. And I wonder if he fits into your your dynamic. And the reason I mention that, he had, I think, 19 passes over 20 yards. Uh, very few starting quarterbacks have that. And so I, I, I don't know if you can call him comeback player of the year, but it relates to a point yesterday, Lance, that you said in regards to Daniel Jones. And this is the question that I have. Daniel Jones is recovering from a serious injury, and I'd say 40 to 50% of his, uh, his uh, dynamic uh, is due to the fact that he can run the football. We don't know if he'll be able to do that. We do know that Tyron Taylor can run the football. And so what I was wondering uh, from the perspective of looking at the, at the roster, if the Giants don't go the quarterback route, how important is it to sign Tyrod Taylor to a contract if you're going to keep Daniel Jones on the roster, which I hope they do? And is, is that a real key? Uh, because then they have a quarterback that can function properly, knowing the schemes and so forth that were already established. And since you're short on time, I'll, be, I'll take the question. Well, just a real, a real quick, yeah. Scott, just a clarification. Sure. Are you emphasizing the fact that Tyrod can run and is mobile? Is right. that the fact, main point? Exactly. You, you go back to San Francisco, and, and one of the things you didn't mention yesterday when I was listening to your uh, uh, information on why San Francisco ran the ball, the reason San Francisco won that game 
was the, the fact that Brock Purdy, on most of the important towns, was able to run the football. Sure. And that was the main reason why San Francisco won that game. I know the, everybody's going to talk about all the miscues, but that was the central core I saw in, in the San Francisco game. So you need today a running quarterback. Uh, if you look at Well, Goff, I don't know if you need running. a running quarterback. I think you, you'd like to have a quarterback oh, that can extend plays. Yep. Yeah, because, I mean, you don't need Lamar Jackson. But Correct. you want somebody that, yes, can escape the pocket, keep Correct. plays alive, yeah. and do that as a result of his legs. Sure. Right. But, and, that's the, and that's the reason why I'm asking the question, because I think it's so important that you have a mobile quarterback. And if Daniel Jones, we don't know how long this injury takes to heal, we do know we have a quarterback now, as I mentioned, who could be sort of a comeback player of the year because he didn't really play last year. Uh Who's who's effective, and that's why I'm a big proponent of signing him to a contract. So I wanted to get your perspective of that. And, and I'm a, glad yeah, and appreciate the phone call, Scott. And thanks for giving us a ring. Well, Tyrod has proven that he has value even beyond this season. I mean, based on what he's done, JC, over the course of his career. But if you're looking for a mobile guy, I don't think the conversation necessarily starts and ends with Tyrod Taylor. No. I think you could do that through the draft. You can look at somebody else on the free agent market. To me, they're not limited or cornered in because Tyron is the only player that can offer them that mobility factor. Yeah, no. um, And, yeah, you don't need a running quarterback in this day and age. I mean, Tom Brady was, what, three years removed from the league, and he had a lot of success. He won a Super Bowl in Tampa, and he was like 87 years old, and he never moved in his career. Well, because he gets rid of the football so quick. (laughs) Yeah, he knows what he's doing. He knows how to play quarterback. Um, You know, so... Um, look, Tyrod, I love Tyrod. Like, I know Tyrod personally. I think he's a phenomenal person, phenomenal player. But is he a viable option? Is he a reliable option? That's a better word to use. Is he a reliable option as a backup? Because now you have a quarterback who's your first-string quarterback in Daniel Jones who you just signed to a big deal who is probably going to be on the shelf come training camp. Maybe first game he could pop up. I don't know. That's, I think is unlikely to be healthy. He to be, for him to be a healthy starter in week one of the season, right? Who is going to be the week one starter? Is it going to be Tyrod? Tyrod for the New York Giants. I in not even for the New York Giants. Everywhere he's been, he's been hurt. And if the Giants are not thinking of that, which I know they are, then they're fools. I know they're thinking of that. They have to be thinking of that. Because every single time Tyrod has played for the Giants, he's gotten hurt. He played last year a little bit, came in one game, Daniel Jones got hurt, he comes in, he looks good, throws a good deep pass, runs the ball, gets knocked out. Sure. Comes in this game, gets hurt twice this year. You got, you got punctured lungs. He has this, this deal with oh, absolutely. some yeah. wild well, stuff I mean, happening to all him. All the starting jobs he's lost, unfortunately. Because, because of, of the injury. injuries, yeah. you know, yeah. and he is a quality backup. I think one of the top backup in the league. Can he be a starter? I think he can. I think he showed that consistently. But I think you have to consider the health, especially when you your first-string quarterback is probably not going to be available. You know, so the Giants have to bring in – because he said something about Daniel Jones being a roster. He's going to be in a roster, 100%. He might start on IR or whatever, maybe with a start and then well, put him on he, IR. Maybe he starts on PUP. PUP, something, something, something in the, on the terms of he might do that, but he's going to be on a roster sure. at the end of the season. Yep. Uh, at the end of the day, that's just how it's going to be. My thing is how many extra quarterbacks do the Giants bring in? Right? Let's say they keep Tyrod and they keep Tommy DeVito. You have to bring in one more, at least one more. So there has to be three quarterbacks 
not including Daniel Jones, on this roster during the offseason has to be. You can't go on the offseason with two. You have to have three because you got to run OTAs. And then when training camp comes, you got to have three quarterbacks. Yeah, and remember, at this point, there's no limitation on the roster other than 90. So you got more roster spots you can afford to put forth towards a quarterback, too. You're not limited at the 53-man roster in the offseason is my point. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, Joe Shane made that clear. The position's going to have to be addressed. Has to be. But I think you bring up an interesting point about you look at Taylor's injury baggage, Daniel Jones now coming off an injury. You know, how much more risk do you want to take at that position? But you also need to balance that with experience at the position, right? Mm -hmm. Because even if you draft a quarterback, that quarterback has not taken one NFL snap. Whereas Taylor has a wealth of experience in that department. So, you know, these are the things you have to weigh. But, yeah, they can afford, to answer your question, JC, they can afford to have four quarterbacks on the roster during the offseason. That's no question. Where they can't afford to have four quarterbacks on the roster is during the regular season. I will tell you that. <laughs> that They're not happen. keeping four guys. They may keep three, but the fourth guy is going to be on the practice squad. Yes. And you're going to have to hope that he can stay on the practice squad right. because you always run the risk of him being clay. All right. That'll wrap up shop here on Tuesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. We'll be up and running again on Wednesday at 12.30 p.m. Eastern as we continue to evaluate what's going on at the Senior Bowl and look ahead to what is going to be a busy offseason here for the Giants and the rest of the NFL. Today's episode, Big Blue Kickoff Live, part of the Giants platforms everywhere and at Giants.com slash podcast. For Jonathan Casillas, I'm Lance Meadows. Stay locked to Giants.com for all the latest, and we'll speak to you on Wednesday right here on BBKL. Have a good one. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear, affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count.